Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Good morning again. Good to be with you guys this morning. I hope that this kind of different kind of, from the ordinary anyway, of our tradition of a, a bit quieter service is really life-giving to you. Um, I uh, wanted to share this little book with you. We're following, those of us who are kind of leading, we're sharing this resource with each other. It's a little book by a man who's become a really good friend over the last year. Uh, this book's called Pauses for Advent. Uh, we put it in the announcements this week if uh, you want to order it. Trevor Hudson is the author, and I uh, encourage you to check it out. Uh, I found it pretty helpful as well. Hey, Will, would you mind turning the lights on? I don't want to be so quiet that you start thinking about napping this morning, so help a little bit. So we're, gonna, we're doing something a little bit different, not just, I don't mean just in that the service is quieter uh, than usual. Uh, I've, I've never really thought about, uh, maybe you have, maybe it's normal for you, but kind of bridging the two holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and two themes that have been really present in my own discipleship journey over the last several months, really. Really, the first one really began during COVID and just challenges in the community, and that, that being gratitude, and have been learning and being shaped by the importance of gratitude, especially during challenging days. Uh, and then secondly, generosity. Uh, we, we kind of couch gratitude a lot of times in the Thanksgiving season and generosity is often championed in the Christmas season. And I've come to see more and more over the last few years how intertwined they are, how they're vitally connected, gratitude kind of flowing out in generosity um, so they're very much first cousins, I think. Uh, so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk more and it, we're going to send a little video clip each week in our announcements, just talking about gratitude and generosity uh, as well as we kind of fur, f- more fully immerse in the Advent season. But this morning, we're going we're gonna to bridge, try to bridge the two uh, a little bit, this gratitude and generosity. I'm going to go what may feel like, what's this have to do with that, but I want to show you a picture of a, a model that I've been reflecting on as well. Go to that next slide. Anybody ever heard of the Stockdale Paradox? Raise your hand. It was new to me. So I don't know how well you can read that in the back. Gil, can you read the words under optimism back there? No, no, it doesn't matter. So there's, there's a man named Stockdale who is a, in a POW camp in Vietnam. And he survived it. He, I think, was two years in a, in a camp. 
And after he got out, he began reading, uh, I don't remember this man's name, but I've read some of his stuff. He survived the POW camp in the Philippines during World War II and for it was a couple years and, and began talking about that experience. And Stockdale and this other man started comparing kind of notes of their experience. And they, they, they realized that in, in striking ways, their observations of how their fellow soldiers did in the camps, whether it was in Philippines or Vietnam, was very, very common. The themes were very common. And so Stockdale, out of those conversations, started talking about this, and this kind of model sort of emerged uh, out of that. But here's what he said. He said there were three, one way to look at the men who were in the camp, that were, to put them in three categories. He said there, first there were the optimists. The optimists in the camp were the first to go. Uh, they were the first to die in the camp, generally. He said that because they had this belief that, like, once Thanksgiving gets here, once Christmas gets here, once the summer gets here, whatever, we're going to get, we're going to be free. We're, we're going to be liberated from this. And they, they always were just sure. They were, they were hyping themselves up for something good right around the corner. And he said, after a number of reps of being disappointed. They completely lost hope, and they were the first to fall. He said, then there were the pessimists. They were the second to fall. They, they were confronted with a brutal reality. They saw it glass half empty from the very beginning and just got taken down. Uh, ironically, after the optimist, but they just, they just spiraled deeper and deeper into their mental and emotional and spiritual black hole of the soul and eventually, you know, couldn't, couldn't stand any longer. He said, then there was the other group. And he said, these, these people, it took them a while to get this language, obviously, but said there was two things about it. One, this group confronted the brutal reality of the situation. They, they didn't try to stick their fingers in their ears and say, this is not happening, this is not happening. Uh, they didn't try to psych themselves up. They were realists from the beginning, they said. But there was a faith in their lives. There, were, there was a presence that they were looking at the reality, but they were looking at it from a higher perspective. He, he wasn't necessarily saying all these people were followers of Jesus or believers in God, but there was something in their life that was sustaining them. That, that wasn't anchored in the brutal reality. It was alongside of. It wasn't separate. It was alongside of the brutal reality. And he said, these, both of these men said, these are the people generally who survived. They had a source uh, beyond them. And of course, we know and believe as a community of God, a people of faith, the followers of Jesus, that we have anchored and our anchor in our lives in something that we know is sure and true and stable. So you might be thinking, why? what's this have to do with gratitude and generosity? Well, I want to submit to you that becoming a grateful person who out of that sense of gratitude in their lives, of, of kind of reflecting on and understanding 
how we've been blessed, that, that we come to realize what we've been given in so many ways, that like is a significant building block of resiliency. That there, there's this foundation in our lives that even during hard times, we can pause and reflect and say, yeah, this is a difficult season, but there's something deeper going on here. There's something more than the circumstance. And out of that, that, that person of gratitude that's growing and being shaped in gratitude in increasing measures now has the opportunity to get their eyes off themselves and be generous and, and, and actually give out of their sometimes lack, out of it, even their, out of their poverty they're giving, even out of their despondency they're seeing others. Their focus isn't inward. It's an increasing measure outward. So I think these themes of gratitude and generosity, as we see them in Jesus, as we hear them from God's word being spoken to us, I think they have the potential to be more than something we just hold up during a season uh, or, or something that we kind of silo and put over here, but something that can be deeply, deeply formational in us. And you, you know those people, and, and I'll be honest with you, they're, they're in this room, many who like have become models for me of what I'm talking about. Gratitude and generosity and the way that they lived their lives um, are, are examples of that to me and have challenged me in that. So today we're going to look at a text from the New Testament in the, Paul's letter, probably his third letter, uh, but we call it 2 Corinthians uh, to the church in Corinth. And it, it's really a text primarily about generosity, but I think you're going to see it as we hear it. You're going to see gratitude kind of weaving in and out of it as well. So here's the context of the, of the text. So Paul is taking up an offering. He, he's going to some of the churches he's planted. Many of them are filled with non-Jewish people. And he's specifically collecting an offering for the poor Jewish community in Jerusalem. And so he's, he's been to several churches. He's commending them in the letter. If you, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he talks about Macedonia and how generous they've been. And now he wants to talk to Corinth about this offering. And we're, we're kind of catching our text study is kind of in the, couched in the middle of this. So we, we're not going to read two chapters. Um, but what he says this morning about gratitude and generosity is really profound and uh, maybe you'll have time to even spend more time with this passage um, this week or today or whatever so this is second corinthians chapter 9 uh, i'm going to read verses 6 to 15 it'll be on the slides or you can turn there yourself so kind of a warning which i warn you occasionally uh, I, I translated this pretty literally, so it's a little, it's probably going to come out a little clunkier than your Bible reads. Uh, but I, sometimes I, I try to do that on purpose because sometimes the more we translate and try to make it smooth, some things get lost. 
So this will be, a, at places you'll notice it's a little clunky. So Paul writes this, the opening phrase says, now hear this. Those who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly. And those who sow bountifully will also reap bountifully. For each of you, remember he's collecting an offering, each of you should decide from the heart. Not reluctantly or dutifully. For God loves what? You've probably heard this many times. A cheerful giver. I, I, I love that phrase. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when people give cheerfully. And God is able to abound every grace to you so that in everything you always have all that you need and you will abound in every good work just as it has been written. And he quotes a psalm here. It's a Psalm 112. He changes the verbs, the verbs in Psalm 112 are in the plural. They scattered their, their uh, gifts to the poor. He changes it because he wants us to talk a little bit more about God and his generosity. Your, your translation may read they, but it isn't. It's he. So he, saw, he quotes Psalm and says, he scattered. He gave to the poor. His righteousness remains to the ages. And then Paul, knowing, I think, that he's addressing communities that are primarily agrarian, like many of us grew up in, he says, now the one providing seed to the one sowing and providing bread for food will also multiply your seed and grow a harvest of righteousness for you. Do you see the comparison? God righteousness and he says now he's able to grow a harvest of righteousness for you in everything being enriched in every generosity which is being accomplished through what thanksgiving to God because the contribution of this offering is not only providing for the needs of the saints but it's overflowing in many thanksgivings to God through the evidence of this service, others will glorify God upon the obedience of your confession. I love that little phrase. It's strong, isn't it? Upon the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and generosity of fellowship to them and to everyone. And in their prayer on your behalf, they long for you. Because of the surpassing grace of God for you. And then he closes this little section with thanksgiving of his own. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He can't help it. He's caught up in his own inspiration that God is giving. There's so much here for us. Let's just take a few glances. Did you, I think you probably caught the extravagance of language. I mean, it's, it's peppered throughout the whole time. You hear words like bountiful, cheerful, abounding every grace, so that in everything you will always have all that is necessary for you. Even the word scattered. And you know, if you think of scattering, you know, you're not like taking a seed and putting one seed at a time. 
into the dirt. You're like grabbing a handful and letting it happen, you know? May, may it fall where it may, and knowing some may not make it, that's bountiful. He talks about multiplying our seed, growing a harvest, being enriched in every way. And then because of that, other people are going to what? Glorify God. That's an extravagant word. You know, they're going to they're like burst out in worship, in praise, in thanksgiving. He talks about their generosity of fellowship. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. To everyone and how they now long for this impoverished people in Jerusalem are longing for the opportunity to meet them because of God's surpassing grace for them. There's this striking contrast at the beginning from sowing sparingly, you know, that's the one seed, and sowing generously, throwing it, letting it be, letting it land where it will. There's this contrast of giving from the heart, and giving reluctantly, dutifully, I guess. If they had just got a second job, I wouldn't be helping them right now. You ever caught yourself doing that? Just saying narratives like that? You know? From the heart. And what Paul does here is he, he wants to take the conversation to the nature and character of God himself. Right in the middle, he, he's... He stops talking about the offering and he starts talking about who God is. About how God is graceful and abounding and generous. So gratitude and generosity. Paul's tying them up together. Overflowing from the heart. And I think what Paul's hope and vision is the Holy Spirit's inspiring him to write is that as God is this generous deity that this community would now reflect and become a community that is immersed in a sense of gratitude, that doesn't act like things are scarce, that's not looking at others with duty or sparingly, but they're looking at their world and their neighbor with abundance in their heart towards them. A community of saints reflecting who God is among people. They're like two birds of the same feather. Gratitude, generosity. We could argue pretty easily that the last few years has not been one where like gratitude and generosity has been in focus. Seems like it's been naturally easy to just discover everything that's wrong. Everything that's wrong in the world. Everything that's wrong in our culture. Everything that's broken in that person. Everything that's sinful about them. I think this text has something to say to us. I think it wants us to see that there's an alternative that God's word is championing, that's speaking, that Jesus is living Gratitude and generosity. It's a radically alternate vision for living. You've known people like this. Gratitude. Generosity. Gratitude is all over the scriptures. I'm going I'm to rapid fire a few scriptures. You're going to know some of them. 
but I want you to just hear them. Psalms 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving. This is a call to worship. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. That's an expression of gratitude from the one who's calling the community to worship. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 50, those who bring thanksgiving. He's now, it's not a call to worship, it's a, it's a call into the temple to give a sacrifice. Those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice, they honor me. Hebrews 12, looking back on our great high priest, says, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And let us worship God with reverence and awe. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, let us be thankful, presenting our request to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, so bold to say, give thanks in all situations. Nothing's exempt in every situation. God's will for your life. Give thanks in the middle of it. Second, 1 Timothy 2, Paul writes, I urge that prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. How are we doing with that one? As we're praying for people. Here specifically, he's going to government officials with thanksgiving. Pray for them. Ephesians 5, writing a whole network of churches. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. That's a grateful person, always giving thanks to God. The Father for everything. He writes the church in Colossae, just as you've received Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith and overflowing. You got it. With thanksgiving. Devote yourselves to prayer, he tells them, being watchful and thankful. Are you getting the idea? Like anything that's kind of coming at us through these scriptures is like, don't forget in the midst to be grateful. Don't leave that part out. No matter what it is that's going on or what you're asking for or what you're struggling with, whatever it is, gratitude. Let it be there with you. Don't forget that. So how do we nurture gratitude? Well, it's simple. God's word says, here's how you become a person of gratitude. You ready? Give thanks. <laughs> it's not complicated. Give thanks. There, there's this symbiotic, cynical relationship between what we do and what we become. We're becoming so that we might do. So when we don't feel gratitude, God's word says, give thanks. So what's that look like? What might it look like in your life? Maybe it would be helpful to just put it on your Apple Watch or your Garmin. Notifications throughout the day. Stop and give thanks. Maybe you can tie it to something. I know for, I did this with Joy 
uh, a year ago, every time I took a drink, I reminded myself to return to joy. Maybe you could do something like that. Every time I take a drink, I'm going to give thanks. Or every time I walk into a different room, every time I sit down, whatever you need to like, if it's God's will for you to give thanks in everything, then take him at his word on that. Tether gratitude to the comings and goings of your habits. Give thanks for the people in your life. Not just to God, but for the people in your life. Give thanks to them for their lives. Learn to say thank you to them. You might want to set a goal, like I'm going to every day thank someone in my life. Or this week, I'm going to thank three people in my life. Establish routines. And then, and then finally, especially, whatever you need to do, remind yourself to be grateful in the hard times. Because that's when we can spiral. And we don't need to. There's another way that we can live. As we grow in gratitude, then we just start discovering generosity. So I'll close with just a few comments about generosity. First, in line with our text, that we grow in generosity of the heart. That's where it starts. Generosity starts in the heart towards others. And I think one of the most transformational things is asking God, how can I be generous towards people that it's not easy to, for me to be generous with? That's hard. When you feel like you've been ignored or hurt or insulted by someone to return that with generosity. Someone that's frustrating for you. Someone that you've been tempted to take up an offense against. Someone that you feel wounded by or you're struggling with anger or contempt. And like this gets tricky. Like you don't want to like fake this. Um, and you may not be able to get there right away where you really feel generous. So what's that path look like of nurturing a true generosity of heart towards someone that's difficult for you to do? Well, I think we can go back and say a good place to start is gratitude. Not necessarily, God, I'm grateful that this person hurt me. But to say, Lord, in this situation, I know you've been present, and I'm grateful for that. I know you can lead me. I know you can help me become a better person through this. I think it's a good place to start. I don't think the expectation is, is we just automatically turn a switch and we're generous. That's why I think gratitude can help us so much. We nurture gratitude toward God in every situation. I think he will help us become generous. I want you to listen to Jesus' words about generosity of heart. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. That's, that was Leviticus 19, 18. He's quoting there. He says, love your neighbor. And he says, you've heard it said, hate your enemy. Well, that's not in the scriptures. You won't find it anywhere in the scriptures. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So why is Jesus saying you've heard it said? Because it got said a lot. It got said. 
a lot. And over time, a persecuted people who had been invaded and exiled and displaced over and over, culture got built around them of loving one another and hating those out there. And it became who they were. And there's a lot of ancient documents. There's a community around the Dead Sea called Qumran, and some of their documents talk about having contempt for the enemy. So Jesus is not like making something up. When he says you've heard it said, they had heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he says, I tell you, you know this, love your enemies. Nobody was saying that. None of the rabbis were saying that. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven who causes the sun to rise on the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends rain on the evil and the good. Generosity of heart. We don't get there overnight. It's a struggle. But listen to the words of Jesus. Second way I think we can practice generosity, it's also embedded in the text, and that's just generosity of our resources. It's not enough for us just to feel generous. There's things like time and hospitality and food and and money and service and prayer, words of encouragement. This season, we try to champion generosity. We want to do that in our community. We want to show ways you can give. Uh, We have a couple of uh, ministries we'll highlight this season. One's an organization out of Topeka. We've never really done, partnered with them before. They're called Trash Mountain. They're a a group. Maybe some of you from Topeka Topeka maybe I know are familiar with them. They, They are targeting people to help. Uh, towns and communities that actually live on trash heaps in the world and they have I think six or seven different communities and most much of these people are children so our children cat is leading her children to to uh, take some of the money we raise from the pie in the face some will go to operation Christmas child but they're going to actually use some and give to trash mountain so if you're a parent you may hear more about that um, we also have our missions offering. We call it Lottie Moon Mission Offerings, where we give an offering to help those missionaries serving all over the, the world. We also have people in our community here at Rock Hill that have needs. Uh, people that we've been walking alongside of. We want to not forget them. Uh, their, their meaningful needs. And we have a benevolent team that specifically is attuned to that. So we'll say more about that as we go throughout December uh, we have a service project coming up in a week. Holly will announce it at the Christmas parade uh, where we'll be, ser- we'll be being generous with our time. I hope you can join us next Saturday morning. We're going to shovel horse poop <laughs> from, from a barn and, se- and tear down stalls, and it's great. It's a lot of fun. Your CLC may want to um, direct resources toward a particular person or need. Uh, And we want to encourage that. Lastly, we want to be challenged generosity in our text. It says, I love this phrase, generosity of fellowship. I think this is especially relevant right now. 
because, because of the winds and the flow of the culture the last three years has, has told us to isolate, has told us to leave. If I find somebody I don't agree with, I just remove myself from them. And it's so contrary to the life of Jesus. What if he would have removed himself? He stayed present with people. And I think we've also learned, and I'm preaching to the choir here, but we've learned about the value of presence over isolation, about being with one another, even though we may not agree on everything or see something the same. We've learned we have a unity that's deeper and higher than agreeing on all the issues. It's not that the issues don't matter. It's just that we know that there's something deeper. And we also want to have the humility to realize we may not have all this figured out ourselves. And we can grow together. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us not give up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. That's the generosity of fellowship. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, Peter wrote, house churches in Rome, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace. There's a lot of theology in that. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. That's generosity of fellowship. So how do we nurture generosity? Well, it's simple. We give. We nurture a generosity of heart. We give resources. It's the same as gratitude. The doing helps nurture the being. We do out of who we're becoming. They go together. You can't separate them. You can't be missional. You can't do what Jesus did without becoming like him. And it's going to be really hard to become like him if you're not training in doing what he did. Gratitude and generosity, they go together. So I'll just, I'll just close with these questions like, what might the Spirit say to you about gratitude in your life? What might God's Spirit say to you about generosity? Usually when God speaks, it's not just this vague, huge idea. I'm just going to be generous to everybody now from this day forward. I've learned to ask him, Lord, show me how to take a step in gratitude. Show me a way I can practice generosity in a way that isn't just, I checked that Christmas season box. Um, but that's deeper than that, that that's helping me become a more generous person for now and tomorrow as well. Whether I have abundance or I have poverty or often somewhere in between, can I be a more grateful and consequently generous person? Can I be a more generous and consequently more grateful individual can I learn to become more like Jesus by doing what he said? Can I do more what Jesus did by giving attention to becoming more like him? 
They go together. And, uh, and I think that's the, the beauty of the life of Jesus. We see it in the way he lived, as well as the saints throughout the history of the church. They did both. Let me pray, and then I think Holly's going to come up and share a few announcements before we close in song again. Let's pray.